Welcome to another edition of the Dog and Duck Show. Uh, Mark, I hate to break the bad news to you, but there is no more college football. We are all done. How are you handling this terrible news, my friend? It's it's always a sad day. Uh, there, I think there are three sad days in the sports calendar for me, and, and it's the end of college football season, and then and it's the day after the Super Bowl, because we kind of get you know, a little boost from the NFL going into the playoffs now. So there's another day of, of mourning after the Super Bowl. And then for me, it's the day after March Madness because that's kind of the next thing that, that carries me through. And then I feel like from from the end of March Madness to the beginning of college football, it's, it's just a dark time. It, yeah, it, you know, and I mean, th- there's one thing that I think is a little bit unique this year is that we got to enjoy the Summer Olympics uh, this past summer, and believe it or not, we've actually got the Winter Olympics starting February third. Um, yeah. So that's right. Of, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So yeah. you know, here's some good news for you, Mark. Yeah, I just I I saw your spirits lifted just as I as I shared that. I love love the Olympics. So that was not even on my radar that we're yeah. getting getting two Olympics in the same. 365 days you're yeah yeah it's a it's a great you know uh win after the you know depressing loss of the olympics in 2020 nice to be able to have two almost back to back and uh, yeah i'm I'm kind of excited about the winter olympics this year i think it's going to be good so hoping i can uh dig into that a little bit uh this this february 100 well hey we've got uh plenty to talk about um, as we usually do, we always want to touch a little bit on some some dog and duck news. Not a lot to share right now. A couple things um, just off the top of my head. Uh, one good news for the Husky faithful, uh, Henry Bainavalu, who was a starting uh, offensive lineman for uh, the University of Washington the last two, two or three years. Uh, we all presumed that he was going to be moving on to the NFL uh, or his post-college career after he walked with the team as a senior, but just posted today on Twitter that he is coming back. He's got an extra year of eligibility because of COVID. Um, so in, a, in a, a, an off-season of a lot of chaos and players leaving, uh, entering into the transfer portal, declaring for the NFL draft, uh, it's nice to have a player that we weren't expecting to come back come back so good news there for the huskies Uh, and then probably you know we've talked about this the last few weeks mark uh but really uh, it's almost like i I can't even describe how true to life it is that this whole new era of college football is so much like a soap opera it's it's like hard to believe and the most recent one being um that over the weekend, um, Husky Twitter began to chatter about um, the potential of a replacement uh, wide receiver coach, and um, uh, for the for the Huskies after um, after Junior Adams departed for the University of Oregon, and uh, as of Saturday night, I mean the Husky faithful on Twitter was this is a done deal. We are getting Jamarcus Shepard, who is the wide receivers coach at uh, the for the Purdue Boilermakers, and according to, you know, the whatever you know whatever uh, people that you listen to, this was a home run hire, and he would have been an upgrade from a coaching perspective over Junior Adams. Somehow by Monday morning, that was out the window, and it looks like he's going to Notre Dame at this point. Mm. But it was a great opportunity for Oregon fans to um, to, to throw a little uh, shade on on the Huskies once again in this, this ongoing soap opera between the Dogs and the Ducks. So it'll be interesting to see if that plays out, if there's any chance of him making that move to the University of Washington. But it's a great reminder not to talk trash uh, because <laughs> things can change very quickly in this world of, of Twitter and transfer portals. 
and uh, shifting contracts and, and all those things. Well, at least you can understand somebody who, if, if he and his family are in West Lafayette, Indiana at Purdue, much simpler move to just go to South Bend than to move out to Seattle. So it, it would be a little more discouraging if it would be like, yeah, instead of coming to Washington, he's, he's, he's taking the Vanderbilt job. Right. Yeah. I mean, going to Duke. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Duke, I mean, I do. Uh, Notre Dame does have a little bit of notoriety. So I, you know, I don't think you can feel too sorry for yourself about that, but uh, I think the biggest thing is getting ahead of yourself and uh, everybody wants to be the first to, to have the scoop. They want to be the first to break the news and uh, man, people jump on it very quickly, but uh, Hey, let's, let's talk. Um, some some college football the the national championships were last night but before we do anything happening with oregon ducks football that we need to be up to speed on you know i mean the biggest thing had to do with last night's championship game where uh you know the i watched an oregon head coach help lead his team to a national championship you know while being employed at the university of oregon it just He's employed by two different schools right now. So it's a, uh, but uh, Dan Lanning, defensive coordinator, obviously uh, for Georgia had a big hand in helping to secure that, that victory, which I know we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, and then the AP rankings came out for the season. Ducks finished the year ranked 22nd, which is honestly, I mean, pretty discouraging from the peak that they were at. I mean, I think they were as high as third at one point. Mm-hmm in the season and kind of an interesting thing Mario Cristobal leaves having spent four years at Oregon two of his teams finished in the top 25 two of them did not one of them this year in the top uh didn't even finish in the top 20 and uh if you just kind of go back through history I mean there are well over a dozen Oregon teams coached by the likes of Mark Helfrich and Mike Bellotti and Rich Brooks that were better than this year's team coached by Mario Cristobal full of, of highly touted recruits. So uh, it is just kind of a reminder that, uh, that there's more than just kind of building a roster with, with blue chip names. You've got to, you've got to win some games to go with that. Well, yeah, I mean, let's face it in two years in a row, the ducks were, were throttled um, three out of their last four games you know, really ending on a sour note for both of those seasons. Although uh, overall, they, you know, they won the Pac-12 in, in 2020. They got to the Pac-12 championship in 2021. Um, you know, it, it, the expectations two thirds of the way through the season, and then to see the final third of the season just collapse the way that they did. It's got to be discouraging, but you know, you look, you look at the roster, you look at the talent, you, you see what Dan Lanning uh, was able to do at the University of Georgia. And there's no reason to think that um, losing three of the last four games is indicative of, you know, a, a team that's unraveling um, and will not be a force come next year. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think I think the future is bright. I think if anything, the way that the season ended kind of just made it a little easier to to turn the page. So that's that's what we'll do. And you know, Dan Lanning jumped on a on the private jet and uh, flew out to Eugene today, and he's hit the ground running. and And so I think uh, Duck fans are are all in on uh, you know seeing seeing what transpires with his tenure in Eugene. And, you know, this is the time of year where everybody starts putting out their way too early uh, top 25 lists. No surprise, you know, you've got Georgia and Alabama at the top of that list, Clemson at the top of that list. I think what I've, the, the, the ones that I've seen have Oregon in that 20 to 25 range, which seems fair based on what we just described in terms of top 25 finishes over the last four years. But to me, the one that's most surprising is seeing Utah uh, in the top five on a few of these lists. Yeah. Um, you know, will will Utah be able to to stand up under the weight of that kind of uh, preseason expectation? 
that's that seems uh that seems a little over enthusiastic i mean utah pretty much had their best team in maybe not in the school history because they had a couple undefeated teams when they were still a a mid-major but certainly their best team since joining the pac-12 this year they just had that kind of season they blew out oregon twice they went toe-to-toe with ohio state in the rose bowl and this year's team still finished 10 and 4 and ranked 12th in the nation yeah so the idea that they're going to take a me i mean the difference from being number 12 to being number five Mm. is a huge leap you know um that that's that's no small thing. And so the idea that they're coming off of kind of, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of what we did with Iowa State last year, speaking of another team that blew out the Ducks. Do you remember Iowa State kind of had this dream season last year yep. mm-hmm. and and they had a bunch of guys returning and we all kind of jumped on the bandwagon. I jumped on the bandwagon on this podcast and was like, oh, Iowa State could be a playoff team. That was kind of the assumption. Mm-hmm. And then the reality was, you know, some of the breaks that they got last year they didn't get this year and and they ended up being a decent team but nowhere near as highly ranked i think utah might avoid um you know finishing outside of the top 25 which is what happened to iowa state i would expect utah to be in there somewhere um if they have most of these guys coming back but to to assume that they're going to be a top five team just strikes me as um overly enthusiastic and, you know, to your point, as great as the divide perhaps between a, a 12th ranked team and a five fifth ranked team, maybe even greater is the divide between the top two and the fifth ranked team. And that's and the third. Let's talk, <laughs> let's talk about that a little bit now as we break down the national championship game. By now, everybody knows uh, Georgia. Uh, beat Alabama 33-18 in what was uh, primarily a defensive slugfest uh, between two ultra-talented teams. And um, really, I think it came down to um, just a few big plays at the right moment by uh, Georgia that set them apart, gave them the opportunity. Uh, They came back from being humiliated by Alabama in the SEC championship game and uh, put together uh, a phenomenal game plan to to be able to hang in there. Uh, It should be noted that uh, Alabama was missing two of their top wide receivers. um, And, you know, even with five stars backing them up, uh, there's something to be said about losing two 1,000-yard receivers um, you know, in a national championship game. So, Mark, what were your thoughts about the game? What stood out to you? And, um, you know, uh, as Georgia fans getting their first national championship since 1980, um, is this the beginning of, you know, a run for Georgia? Or are, are they going to, you know, find themselves looking up at Alabama moving forward? Yeah, a couple things. I, I think – you know, as if I were to look back over the past um, championship games, there's a few that stick out as kind of being all-time classics, including the last time Alabama and Georgia played each other. Uh, this this game, because of that score, 33 to 18, we won't necessarily look back at it and say, "Oh, that was an all-timer." But but in reality, the fourth quarter was about as entertaining as it could be for the most part. I mean, you have the 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 Mac or um, Stetson Bennett's fumble that, you know, they had to review it and see if it was an incomplete pass or not. And it was basically accidentally recovered by the Alabama defender as he's tiptoeing out of bounds and not even really trying to recover a fumble. Um, That felt like it totally swung the game in Alabama's favor. And at that point, I don't know about you, Warren, but I thought, okay, Alabama is going to win this game now. Um, You know, I texted you before the game about the history of these two schools and there was some major baggage for Georgia when it comes to playing Alabama. They've been in big spots against Alabama on many, many occasions and not come through. And when that play went Alabama's way, I thought, boy, this, here it comes, here it comes. Uh, and yet after that, here comes Georgia driving right down the field, making plays, um, putting together a touchdown drive, getting the ball back, adding another touchdown coming up with the big pick six to, to seal the game. It was a really, really entertaining fourth quarter. 
after kind of a so-so first three quarters that were a lot of a lot of field goals, a lot of defenses coming up big in the red zone and and doing what they needed to do. But um, I think you know to your to your bigger question of what does this mean for Georgia? I mean Georgia seems like they're set up to be there every single year. They kind of strike me as what we thought of Clemson a couple of years ago when Clemson kind of first emerged on the scene is it's like, as long as Kirby Smart is there, it seems like they're going to be getting, you know, one of the top three recruiting classes in the country, basically. I think they're the program best equipped to take advantage of, of um, the lack of Nick Saban if he ever does retire. Uh, you know, who knows? Nick Saban could go on for another 10 years for all we know, but he is in his 70s and, and you would think at some point he's going to retire. If that happens, I would think Georgia is the program in the best position to just kind of fill that void. Uh, the SEC is a beast. There are all kinds of other programs that, you know, consider themselves national championship caliber contenders. They're adding Oklahoma and Texas in the coming years. So it's not, it's not going to be an easy road, but I would say if you're buying stock in an SEC program, um, you would, you would be buying that stock in, in Georgia uh, for the coming years. Yeah, that's a, that's a reasonable argument and expectation. I'm not sure if I'm buying it quite just yet. And I think, you know, part of the reason being is that even in this game last night, we didn't really see the kind of dynamic offense that, um, you know, can, can go toe to toe points for points with an Alabama team that is firing on all, you know, on all cylinders. You know, it's, it's interesting. I think you and I alluded to this when we had some texts and I've certainly um, had some similar conversations with other people, but you know, the, the general feeling I think this year was that after Alabama's national championship last year, which to me was one of the all time great football teams in college football history with, yeah. with Mac Jones winning the Davey O'Brien with Devonte Smith winning the, the Bolitnikoff and the Heisman trophy with uh, Najee Harris winning the, the Doak Walker award with guys all over that field, winning the award for the best player at their position and, and thoroughly dominating um, Ohio state last year. I think we all kind of thought, okay, this is not, this is not your your uh, dominant Alabama team, and yet at the end of the day, they make the national championship team game. They they you know rocked Georgia in the SEC championship game. Their quarterback won the Heisman Trophy, right. and they're going to have another half dozen or more first round draft picks coming off this team, uh, like they do every year. So, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, you go, okay, this is a quote unquote down year for Alabama. Then what's next year going to look like? Are they going to be reloaded on a new level? Are they going to have even more guys ready to take that uh, thing to the, to the next plane? So it seems to me a little bit more likely that although the recruiting rankings may be similar, um, the, the system and the coaching, especially on the offensive side, I'd say, I'd say they're pretty even on the defensive side, but on the offensive side, the coaching seems to still be tilting towards Alabama. Uh, so this may not be an easy repeat for this Georgia team. I, I hear what you're saying. And at the same time, I would, I think, um, like we've seen Georgia teams, maybe not necessarily under Kirby Smart, but like it, it, it wouldn't shock me if Georgia has an elite quarterback in the next three years. You know, this is a school that, that made Matthew Stafford a number one pick in the NFL draft. Um, they had Justin Fields on their roster mm -hmm. and he transferred to Ohio State when, when he, uh, Jake Fromm was, was still the starter at the time. And, and so Fields transferred. So like if they were able to bring in a guy like that, and we've seen Georgia over the years have great running backs, you know, from Nick Chubb and um, 
who's the teammate that I'm thinking of. They had a, they had the the uh, Sony Michelle. You know the um, I yeah. mean they've had some some spectacular running backs there, uh, really going back quite a ways. So it would not surprise me to see Georgia just kind of continue to grow on that side of the ball that we've seen now they can put together an all-time elite defense. I mean, gave up 10 points a game on the season, which is ridiculous and every bit as good as the best Alabama defenses that Nick Saban has coached. And so it would not surprise me. You know, this is kind of the state that Alabama used to be in. Alabama used to be dominant defensively, kind of a game manager on offense, you know, usually a dominant running back, but not necessarily like an explosive team. And then Saban kind of started finding the right assistant coaches to upgrade on that side of the ball and Alabama became a juggernaut offensively. I think Georgia, that transformation could happen relatively overnight with the right coaching hires and, and the right recruiting coming in. They're certainly getting the caliber of player uh, and, and they're going to have the opportunity to do that again. So uh, I, I think that change could happen relatively quickly. No, I agree. It could happen. The question is, will it happen? And, and until it does happen, when, you know, what's the level of expectation? You know, the difference between a Greg McElroy led Alabama versus, you know, a, a, a Tua Tagovailoa or a Jalen Hurts or, uh, you know, uh, a Mac Jones offense is pretty significant. And I would say right now, like you said, uh, Georgia really looks a lot more like Alabama in the early 2010s than Alabama today. Um, so, you know, I mean, obviously Georgia is going to be right up there, but I don't know if I see this as a, passing of the baton by any stretch i think this was the you know the the dogs uh coming with their very best game at the right moment getting the right breaks um having you know generational players on their team that will probably be gone next year and the question is can they repeat with this formula again and time, time will tell. Time will tell. I think uh, if, if you were to guess right now, do you think Georgia wins another national title while Kirby Smart is their coach? Uh, yeah, I think so. Because, I, I mean, based on what I would say, say the fact that Kirby Smart spent, what was it, like tw almost 20 years with uh, Nick Saban? I mean, he was with him, you know, back at LSU and was with them in Miami and of course at Alabama. Um, so, you know, he's, Kirby Smart has demonstrated that he's not the kind of guy that's gonna hop uh, from yeah. one program to another. He's probably gonna be there for life until, you know, the, the program decides that he's done. And he's gonna keep getting top ranked recruiting classes. So yeah, the, the you know, you put enough of the right ingredients together and, he's going to have some seasons that pop, but the question is, is it more, is this more of like a, an LSU Auburn type of thing where one year, everything is just, it comes together and then they kind of go back down or are they truly now, you know, King Kong to Alabama's Godzilla that I think is the, the big question for me. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Time, time will tell. Well, it's sad to see the end of a college football season, but uh, there's still a little bit of football left to enjoy in the NFL. Uh, this weekend, the NFL playoffs begin after a 17-game season, um, first ever 17-game season. Uh, we enter into the, the wild card weekend. So uh, Mark, why don't you kind of walk us through some of the uh, some of the AFC matchups, and uh, we'll we'll talk about some of the the big highlights. Yeah, so if we're looking on the AFC side, uh, first of all, the buy went to the Tennessee Titans, uh, and Warren, do you realize the Titans 
earned a first round bye with Derrick Henry on the shelf for the last two months of the season. He did not play a game in November or December. His return for the playoffs is questionable, and they still earned the number one seed. Mike Vrabel has to be coach of the year, does he not? Uh, there's a very compelling argument for that. I agree. You know, Mike Vrabel has done a tremendous job. Uh, you know, Ryan Tannehill has not really been uh, that dynamic at quarterback this year. Uh, A.J. Brown has been in and out of the, the lineup all season long. Julio Jones has been injured most of the season as well. Um, so they've really had to scrap to get to this point, which is commendable. And I think you're right. Mike Vrabel deserves recognition for that. But I think it makes them definitely, uh, you know, a paper tiger when it comes to being that, that, you know, top seed. There's a good likelihood that they could get upset in the playoffs because I don't know if uh, they've got, the, I don't know if they've got the ammunition to keep fighting the way that they've been fighting throughout the entire playoffs. Yeah, we, we see this uh, every once in a while in the NFL where the team that's the number one seed, it's like, okay, you were in the number one seed, you got the bye, but like nobody really takes them seriously as, as the, the leading Super Bowl contender. And I think that's the case uh, with the Titans as good a season as they've had. So, okay, Warren, I'm going to give you the, the different matchups and, and then just um, I'll give you maybe a storyline for each team, something interesting about each team, and then you tell me who – who you like let's go on record with some predictions here so let's do it uh first afc game uh this will be saturday afternoon the las vegas raiders and the cincinnati Bengals. uh the raiders obviously fired john gruden earlier this season because of uh, an email scandal and so rich Visaccio has taken over and the raiders are the first team um in 61 years so really the first team in the super bowl era to make the playoffs after a mid-season coaching change. Uh, great job by Rich. They had a thriller of a win over the Chargers just to uh, clinch that playoff spot. And, and meanwhile, we got the Cincinnati Bengals, kind of another fun story led by second-year quarterback Joe Burrow and his explosive rookie teammate wide receiver Jamar Chase. They were, of course, teammates in college for the Bayou Bengals, the LSU Tigers. Mm-hmm. Now they've come over to Cincinnati, different kind of bangle, uh, but they're hooking up all the time uh, in the passing game for Cincinnati, just a really dynamic quarterback and receiver pairing. Who do you like Raiders at Bengals? Well, there's not a, a hotter offense coming into the NFL playoffs than the Cincinnati Bengals in, in week 16 and 17 uh, before Burrow took, uh, week 18 off to rest and recover. Uh, Burrow threw for over 900 yards, I believe nine touchdowns with zero interceptions uh, and eked out a, a really nice win over the Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, Jamar Chase put together one of the greatest receiving games in NFL history. And I believe the best receiving game for a rookie in NFL history. So they're coming in offensively firing on all cylinders. And uh, I have incredible respect for the Las uh, Vegas Raiders. Derek Carr uh, has done a tremendous job. One of my all-time favorite uh, football college football players, Hunter Renfro, the two-star yeah. walk-on wide receiver from Clemson that um, you know single-handedly beat Alabama to win the national championship has uh, continued to defy belief and expectation and is a, as serving as a number one wide receiver for this Las Vegas Raiders team. But I don't think that, uh, that the Raiders are going to have enough to, to beat the Bengals on the road. I think Burrow is feeling confident. Uh, you know, it's not just about Jamar Chase, uh, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, uh, this this offense is really clicking, and the defense is doing enough to, uh, to 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 hold teams down to let that offense really go. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Bengals. Um, I don't think it's gonna be 
uh, particularly close, but I'll say the Bengals by about a touchdown. I'm I'm with you. And if the Bengals were to win that, you know, they have lost in the wild card round uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, their last seven playoff appearances to find a Cincinnati Bengals win in the playoffs. You'd have to go back to 1990. They beat the Houston Oilers in a wild card game. Uh, do you remember who the quarterback was for the Bengals in 1990? Um, that, it wasn't Boomer. Yeah, Boomer Esiason. Okay, Boomer Esiason. Yeah, so that was, tells you how long it's been. Yeah, was Icky Woods on that team? Uh, I think that may have been just a little after. Okay, Icky Woods, because he was on the uh, the Super one of the Super Bowl teams earlier in that decade. Um, oh no, Icky Woods was on still on the team then. So yeah, 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 uh, yeah. The Icky the Shuffle so, was a big deal. Yeah, well, so let's uh, let's move on here. We we do have six games to cover, so I won't belabor these these too much. Uh, Saturday night, Patriots at Bills, great little AFC East rubber match because they've met two times in the regular season. The Pats beat the Bills in their first meeting in a in a terrible windstorm. They threw the ball just four times. It was great theater, as Belichick basically said, "We're going to run the ball down their throats," and that's exactly what they did. Uh, the Bills then came back and won the rematch decisively. Josh Allen, it was one of his best games of the season. And so here they are. They're meeting in Buffalo on a Saturday night. It's going to be cold and uh, and a chance for Buffalo to kind of really stake their claim as the new kings of the AFC East. Who do you like? Pats at Bengals. Or Pats at Bills, I'm sorry. So, you know, we've talked a lot about the the Belichick Brady argument, but but I think this game is really about what is Belichick going to do to shut down the most important aspect of the Buffalo Bills. And I and I think you know what we would have to determine is what is the most important aspect? Is it shutting down Stefan Diggs? Is it somehow you know forcing them to have no running and then you know making Josh Allen beat them solely with his arm uh I'm sure that Belichick has a plan going into this game and the question is can Josh Allen and this offense do enough to overcome whatever that thing is that Belichick decides to take away from the Buffalo Bills team um I want to I want to go with the Bills I, you know, I love, I love this Bills team. I love Josh Allen. I love the way that he plays. He plays with a lot of heart, a lot of fun. Um, but man, this one smells like uh, an upset for me. You've got, you've got Bill Belichick facing a team for the third time in a season. Um, and, you know, he's got a, a quarterback in Mac Jones who's begun to find his stride over the last few games. They put up 50 points uh, two weeks ago. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I hate to say it, but I'm going to go with the Patriots to win this game against the Bills. It's uh it's an understandable choice uh, given everything we know about Bill Belichick. I'm, I'm going to go the opposite. I'm taking Buffalo. The Patriots to me, I think peaked in November. Uh, they've lost three of their last four down the stretch, including that loss at home to Buffalo. Their only win in that stretch in the last month is against Jacksonville. So um, they lost at Indianapolis. They lost at Miami. They've lost to Buffalo. So I, I just, I just feel like, uh, the Pats peaked and I'm, I'm probably going to regret this, but you know, we just saw Nick Saban lose. I think Bill right. Belichick loses in the same week. It's going to be historic. Well, let me ask you this question. Do you think, uh, cause it's all about the defense. It's, it's about whether or not uh, the, the Patriots defense can slow down Josh Allen. What would be the breaking point uh, for defense, you know, for the Patriots that they can hold, the 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 bills to under what 20 points they win the game what's what do you think that breaking point is yeah i think when so when when the buffalo won they won 33 to 21 when new england won it was 14 to 10 
so it, it's very much the the game plan for New England if they're going to have any chance in this game is is to make it a a defensive slugfest. I think my you know, I think Mac Jones has had a, a great rookie year. I think he's been the best of the five rookie quarterbacks in that class, the first rounders. Uh, I think he's had a great rookie year, but I, but I think he is uh, not of the same caliber yet as Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen is, is kind of on the verge of being like considered a, a superstar at that position is on the verge of being considered like an MVP contender I think Mac Jones has has proven himself to be a capable starter, uh, and so I just I just don't know if uh, if he's going to be able to match Josh Allen, and and I think the defense is certainly going to keep him keep them in the game. Uh, but again, I'm just kind of going off the last month or so where uh, you know Mac Jones has thrown five interceptions in his last four games. Uh, where he he had really done a great job of not doing that earlier in the season, so it, it just it just feels a little bit like he's kind of the hitter who got off to the great start, and now the pitching staffs have started to figure him out a little bit. Sure. And sure. it doesn't mean he won't still be a great hitter. He's going to have a whole off season to kind of mm-hmm. you know examine things and and come back better next year. But but I think rookie quarterback, you've played 17 games. That's 17 games of film teams have on you. Playoff game in the cold on the road it's it's just a that's a lot a lot to ask of uh of a guy in his first year starting in the league yeah that's that's fair um i hope you're right but i i have a sneaky suspicion that this is going to be a signature kind of game for bill belichick post tom brady wanting to demonstrate hey i can you know i can win without brady in the playoffs so We'll see, but uh, that's that's a good call. All right, well, fi- final final game on the AFC side. Uh, this one takes place Sunday night, and it's Steelers at Chiefs. So on the Pittsburgh Steelers side, kind of crazy for them to even get in the playoffs. First, yes. they needed they needed to beat Baltimore, which they did in overtime. They needed Indianapolis to lose to Jacksonville, which seemed like a non-starter because Jacksonville is terrible and. Somehow the Colts did lose. And then the, the only thing the Steelers needed then is they needed the uh, Chargers and Raiders to not end in a tie. That was the only thing that they needed. And then, of course, the Chargers and Raiders go into overtime. They play the entire overtime. It looks like the game very well might end in a tie until finally the Raiders win it on a last-second field goal, and that put the Pittsburgh Steelers in the playoffs. It's likely uh, the final game for Ben Roethlisberger, and he's going up against the Chiefs team who are trying to make their third Super Bowl in a row, which would be a historic accomplishment. I think only two teams in NFL history have done that. So where are you at on Steelers at Chiefs? Well, this game itself is going to be a, a, a bit of a letdown. The, the Kansas City Chiefs are going to have their way with the Pittsburgh Steelers. It is Ben Roethlisberger's swan song, um, but... There's no doubt about it that Roethlisberger's arm is just not what it needs to be, uh, particularly in cold weather environments. Uh, He really doesn't have uh, the ability to throw it beyond about 20 yards down the field. So you're going to see a lot of dinking. Yeah, (laughs) you're going to see a lot of dink and dunk. You're going to see a lot of um, running from Najee Harris, trying to control the, the time of possession by the Pittsburgh Steelers. But yeah, this... This Chiefs team is too talented, too motivated to not put up uh, a lot of points against uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. But, you know, I want to just take a moment to acknowledge the job that Mike Tomlin has done with this team. Uh, Mike Tomlin, you know, this year set the NFL record with 15 non, uh, 15 consecutive non-losing seasons to begin a coaching career. He's the youngest coach to ever win a Super Bowl. And uh, nobody thought that he was making the playoffs again um, four or five games ago. So to get his team to this position is really a great testament to the job that he does year in and year out with this coaching staff. I think it's a great 
um, way for Ben Roethlisberger to end his career um, in the playoffs, not on a losing team. Um, nobody expects him to do anything in the playoffs. So just the fact that he made it is enough. Uh, but this, this game is going to clearly go the way of the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, they did meet earlier this season uh, or just a, a few weeks ago and, and the Chiefs won 36 to 10. Yeah, uh, pretty dominant. Uh, one one other note about the Steelers, though, you know, uh, we gave props to Mike Tomlin, which is well deserved. Also props to TJ Watt, who yes. set, or tied the NFL sack record. Tied Mike uh, Strahan. Yeah. yeah, tied Mike Strahan. And now you mentioned this is a 17 game season. And like so like Cooper Cup was uh, trying to chase down Calvin Johnson's single season receiving record. And he was very honest in saying, hey, I've had an extra game. This is, this doesn't mean the same thing as what Calvin did. Like, you know, uh, 17 game season gave me an advantage. Well, TJ Watt had a 17 game season, but he didn't play in two games. So he actually tied Strahan's record while only playing in 15 games. So really an incredible, incredible season. For it's him. incredible. He deserves a lot of credit. Although this is my position on that whole thing. You know, it, he had 17 games to play 15 games, you know, whereas a guy that gets injured in a 16 game season is only got 16 games to play. However many games he can play. So credit to him, but let's not, let's not say, Oh, it's basically the same thing because that extra game gave him the ability to get that extra sack. Um, it is what it is. That's it's fair. just, it's just like, um, Roger Maris and Babe Ruth, you know, you can put an asterisk on you on all you want, but Roger Maris broke the record and, you know, held that record for many, many years. And uh, TJ Watt tied the record and he can hold his head up high knowing that he performed at a high level for the length of the season that he was given. Um, so, you know, let's not try to, you know, uh, let's not try to, to, to find a way to justify it. Let's just acknowledge from this that's point fair. on, it's 17 games, and that's the season that you're given. It is interesting. J.J. <laughs> uh, Watt had multiple seasons of 20 sacks, so he just missed this record multiple times yeah. in his career. Uh I, I didn't necessarily think if, if I could have chosen one of the Watt brothers to tie the record, that it would have been TJ, but amazing season. Uh, you know, I mean, who knows what would have happened if Strahan had had an extra game or if, if JJ Watt had had an extra game, you yeah. know, what if, what if Derek Thomas had had an extra game back in his, you know, heyday or Lawrence Taylor. So, you Mark know, Gastineau. yeah, you know, you just never know, but um from this point on, the records are the records. It doesn't matter that it's 17 games. That's the number of games that we play now. I thought when, when you interjected so strongly about this, I thought you were going to point out that Michael Strahan got that record because Brett Favre essentially gave himself up. And, and remember this, is that Brett Favre yeah. like allowed himself to be sacked. And it was a huge controversy at the time because it was basically like he didn't earn the final this right. final sack and and you couldn't even tell if Strahan really enjoyed getting the record that way it was kind of like what are you doing <laughs> like I wanted to earn yeah. this thing and you just like rolled into me so uh <laughs> anyway I thought I thought that's where you were going but uh Brett Favre is such a character yeah uh we'll we'll move on so NFC playoffs let's let's run through these three games real quick here uh or first uh we do have a to mention that the Green Bay Packers earned the buy, and my note for the Packers, Warren, is that they earned a buy despite Aaron Rodgers being a prima donna throughout the entire offseason. Like, it seemed like everything that we heard about Aaron Rodgers in the offseason, he was drawing attention to himself for all of the wrong things. He was complaining about his lack of, of involvement in, in team decisions and kind of make, taking shots, it seemed like, at the roster and all of this stuff. And, and I kind of, at the time, felt like, man, uh, this, this might actually turn into kind of an ugly situation in Green Bay. Well, Aaron Rodgers, to his credit, he has showed up. He's played like the best quarterback in the league. The Packers, you know, have put together a great season and find themselves with home field advantage and Lambeau field for length of, of the playoffs. 
do you are you buying higher on them than you were on Tennessee? With Tennessee, you said kind of a paper tiger. Green Bay, do you see as a legit Super Bowl threat this year? You know, um, we talk a lot. We've talked a lot about um, the legacy of Tom Brady, and it's amazing to me that as incredibly gifted and talented as Aaron Rodgers is as no, he's won multiple MVPs and yet he's only won one Super Bowl and I think last year's team losing uh, at home to Tampa Bay was it was at home right am I remembering correctly yeah yeah, uh, yeah losing at home to Tampa Bay now once again having the home field advantage uh, you know going into the playoffs Aaron Rodgers needs to get to the Super Bowl at least, if not win it, to really cement his legacy as one of the all-time great quarterbacks. And I think there's a there, there's a question mark as to whether or not he can do it. I mean, he he truly is amazing. He deserves at this point to be the MVP uh, for the NFL regular season, but he has not been able to produce in the playoffs at the same level that you would think he would based on what we believe him to be as a quarterback. Can he do it? Yes. Should he do it? Yes. Will he do it? That remains to be seen. He's got all the talent. He's got, uh, you know, his line is back healthy again. Uh, you know, Devonte Adams is arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL, not named uh, Cooper cup. Uh, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are a real dominant uh, duo in the backfield and uh, a defense that has had some really nice performances at the end of the season. So there's no reason why this team should not be in the in the NFL uh, championship game. I'm, I'm with you. I think I think it's a bit of a legacy season for Aaron Rodgers at this point. And, and I I hesitate to put too much weight on just simply did your team win or not, because it is, it is a team sport. And sometimes I think that's, that's kind of a lazy default that we make where we just kind of look at whoever won the most games and assume that meant they were the best player. But, um, but you're right. Aaron Rodgers has been in this situation many times before and, and his teams just have not really gotten over that hump with the exception of, of that one Super Bowl season early in his career. So uh, kind of a make or break season for him. I mean, Aaron uh, Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, he's won a Super Bowl. So he's, he is one of the great quarterbacks of all time. Uh, you know, and there's a, there's a long list of great quarterbacks who have only won one Super Bowl. But um, this, you know, this Aaron Rodgers team and the ones of the last few years, this is not like the Barry Sanders, Detroit Lions teams that, the, you know, you knew when they got to the playoffs, the only good player that they had was Barry Sanders, and it was not going to be enough in the playoffs. There's enough on this team outside of Aaron Rodgers that there's no excuse for them to not win it. And, uh, and, and I think that's going to be a bigger storyline to me than whether or not a reporter thinks that Aaron Rodgers is the biggest jerk in the NFL or whether or not, you know, he was dishonest about his vaccination status. I think the real question is, can he get it done when he goes toe-to-toe with a Tom Brady or, you know, goes toe-to-toe with a Matthew Stafford and, uh, and, and you know, um, has to really, really beat one of the best in the NFL? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so let's, okay, let's, let's talk through these, these three games here. Um, just some quick hitters. The first, uh, game on the NFC side, Sunday morning, we've got the Eagles at the Bucks. The Eagles are nine and eight. They have the distinction of being the worst team in the playoffs. I don't really know what else to say about them. Jalen Hurts has been kind of a fun story as their quarterback, who's also a really dynamic running threat leads the team in rushing, but uh, I don't think anybody's really taking the Eagles and their nine and eight record seriously as a, as a Super Bowl contender. They are at the defending champs, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
Tom Brady trying for his eighth Super Bowl title. He's trying to make his 11th Super Bowl appearance. The Bucks are trying to win back-to-back. I don't know that we really need to spend much time on this, Warren. I'm assuming, are you taking the Bucks to roll over the Eagles? Without a doubt. If Tom Brady loses before he gets to the Super Bowl, it will not be against this Eagles team. Uh, there's just not enough there's just not enough firepower to 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 handle uh, Brady and his Buccaneers. Yeah. Uh, the next game on the docket on the NFC side, this will be a, a Sunday afternoon game, and one that I'm kind of excited for just to see the colors on the screen. And it's the Niners and the Cowboys. Warren, I think we both uh, come from a similar era where this was the game for a while. You know, uh, in earlier years, in the early '90s, Niners Cowboys seemed like it was kind of the best two teams in the NFL for several years. And so this is uh, this is a fun one. The Niners had to sneak into the playoffs. They needed an overtime win against the Rams just to get in. Uh, meanwhile, the Cowboys have scored 50-plus points in two of their last three games, which to put that in perspective, I looked it up, a Tom Brady-led team in Tom Brady's entire decade, two-decade career has scored 50 points or more three times in his entire career. And the Cowboys have done it twice in the last three weeks. So they are flying really high. What's your feeling on this game, Warren? Yeah, this game's got a lot of history to it. You know, I think about Deion Sanders, Charles Haley, Terrell Owens, guys that donned both uniforms in the prime of their careers. And uh, what's that? Uh, Ken Norton Jr. is another Ken one. Ken Norton Jr., yeah, that's another one. And, uh, yeah, I think this game is going to be much more uh, hotly contested than we may be thinking. Um, you mentioned the Cowboys putting up 50 points. I know one of those games was against uh, a Washington Redskins team that was just uh, completely checked out. There was no effort from that team whatsoever. And I think that there's still some flaws with this Cowboys offense in particular. Uh, Their offense has had starts and stops. Dak Prescott has had some massive games followed by some real duds. And then the defense has really thrived on uh, big time plays from guys like Diggs and Parsons. And uh, I think there's, there's a vulnerability for, uh, for that defense against a team like the 49ers that's really going to try to take the air out of the ball and uh, make this uh, a, you know, a phone booth type of fight. Um, I, I don't know if in the end the 49ers are going to have enough with uh, Jimmy G and uh, you know, George Kittle and Elijah Mitchell, Mitchell but uh, if this, you know, if, if I were to pick an upset uh, on this side, this may be the one. Um, I think I think the 49ers and Cowboys are going to come down to the last couple minutes. Yeah, I think I think this one may shape up as just kind of uh, the most the most compelling game, uh, you know, in terms of like, I think both teams I could see both teams winning. Uh, I, I think there's just some fun storylines there. Uh, I do think it's, it's funny that you're kind of poking holes in the Cowboys inconsistent offense when they were the highest scoring team in the league. <laughs> like, I mean, that's, that's true. That's true. And, and, you know, maybe it's because I had um, Dak Prescott on my fantasy football team. Oh, sure. Yeah. I was kind of paying a little bit closer attention, but there were a number of games in which, um, you know, he he did not perform at a high level during the back end of the season, other than those, you know, those two massive 50 point games. And, uh, you know, and so I, I just say that I think that in spite of the inflated numbers, there is some vulnerability of this team against a tougher defense. Like we know the 49ers can be. And then again, uh, they're probably not going to, you know, get a pick six or something like that against this 49ers uh, offense. So there's, I think there's a, a chance that that the 49ers come in and they just say, we're going to play tough defense. 
We're going to run the ball with, uh, with Elijah Mitchell. We're going to take what we can get with Debo Sam Samuels and George Kittle and try to keep this thing close into the fourth quarter. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's my sense as well. Uh, Cardinals Rams is our final game. And this is going to be a Monday nighter first Monday nighter, uh, that they've ever had in the playoffs. Uh, we're going to watch it together. Uh, it's kind of a coming out party for some stars that have, mm -hmm. have, you know, hardcore NFL fans of course know about them, but for the person that maybe tunes into, to a couple games a year, they may not necessarily be totally on their radar, but you know, it's going to be a playoff debut for Kyler Murray. Uh, one of the most exciting young quarterbacks in the league. It's going to be a national breakout game for Cooper Cup of the Rams, who who I think has clearly established himself as the best receiver in the game by a fair margin. And it's a divisional battle. These two teams are familiar with one another. They've they've played each other multiple times. Uh, what's your sense of Cardinals Rams, Warren? Well, after a season in which my Huskies did not make a bowl game, this is the closest thing to a Husky bowl game that I get to enjoy this season because both squads are littered with uh, Husky Husky players. Uh, for the Cardinals, uh, you've got uh, pro bowler Buda Baker at safety. You've got Byron Murphy at cornerback. Ezekiel Turner, who's become a, a, a special team star and backup safety. Darrell Daniels, a tight end. And then on the, the Los Angeles uh, Rams, uh, Taylor Rapp has uh, been an impact player for, uh, for the, the defense, along with Greg Gaines, uh, who Aaron Donald recently said is the best nose tackle in the NFL. Uh, Coleman Shelton on the offensive line and the kicker, uh, Tristan uh, Vizcaino. And so um, uh, some, some good Husky connections on both those teams. I'm looking forward to seeing how those guys perform in the spotlight. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to uh, pick against this Los Angeles Rams team. They've got, uh, you know, a dominant defense. They've got Matthew Stafford, the best, the, the best offensive player in the NFL this year in uh, Cooper Cup. Um, and so, you know, I'm going to take Sean McVay to, uh, to overcome, to, to find a way to shut down Kyler Murray, who has not been as dynamic over the last six games of the season since his injury. Yeah, um, yeah I think this is going to be a game that the, the Rams really pull out all the stops. I would expect to see Odell Beckham Jr. Um, put up some big numbers and uh, Sony Michelle at running back. There's a, there's a possibility that Cam Akers may be back on the field as well at running back. Um, so yeah, I'm taking the Rams. I'm, I'm with you. Rams uh, had won five in a row before this, that overtime loss to the Niners uh, to end the season, whereas the Cardinals have lost four out of five. Uh, they also strike me as a team that really peaked at the beginning of the year when they won what their first seven games right out of the gate. So uh, I, I think we're, we're in lockstep. If, if I, if I'm tracking this correctly, I think the only game that we really disagreed on was, was Patriots bills. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, just for the fun of it, cause I don't think I gave a prediction. I'm going to go ahead and pick the 49ers to take. Okay. To take then I'll pick the Cowboys. So now we've got a couple then. Okay. That's good. That's yeah. good. So I know I'm, I'm picking the, the underdog in both of those, uh, both those calls, but yeah, you gotta, you gotta take a risk on a couple of calls. And those are the ones that I, I think have the greatest potential for upset. And I am boldly taking the home team in every game. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. Playing the averages. Exactly. Exactly. Well, hey, Mark, as we wrap things up, um, do you have a, a Mark's moment to share with us? I, you know, I do. I have a, I have a thought here, Warren. Uh, it, watching last night's game, you know, there was a point where uh, Stetson Bennett, who was a uh, – walk on who came to Georgia didn't get any playing time transferred to a junior college 
managed to come back to Georgia when they had an opening on the roster, fought his way into a starting job when they had an injury to the quarterback in front of him. Uh, and here's Stetson Bennett in the national title game. The backup behind him, JT Daniels, is a highly touted transfer from, from USC. And Stetson Bennett had a moment where he fumbled the ball away. Alabama, it set up Alabama's only touchdown of the game. It gave Alabama the lead in the fourth quarter. And it looked very much like the tide was turning against Stetson Bennett and, and this Georgia team to the point where Joel Klatt, one of the most public figures in the college football world, tweeted, if JT Daniels can walk, why is he not playing in this game, essentially? I mean, okay. essentially just going after Stetson Bennett and saying this, the moment is too big for him. This guy should not be in the game. And Bennett responded uh, by driving out uh, Georgia down on the next drive through a beautiful touchdown pass, a deep ball uh, to give Georgia the lead again. Georgia gets the ball back. And again, Stetson Bennett engineers another drive that ends with the touchdown pass. And the end result is he is a national champion. And I went back through the list of uh, national championship games, Warren, and here's a list of guys that Stetson Bennett is included with. T. Martin is on that list from Tennessee. Peyton Manning is not on that list. Mm -hmm. uh, Josh Heupel from Oklahoma is on that list. Heisman winners Jason White and Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray are not on that list. Uh, Craig Krenzel from Ohio State is on that list. Heisman winner Troy Smith is not on that list. Uh, from LSU, they had Matt Mock one year. They had Matt Flynn another year win national titles for them. Uh, Jamarcus Russell was the number one pick in the draft from LSU. Never won a national championship there. Uh, you see where I'm going with this. Uh, it's Chris Leak from Florida who won the national title. It was not Rex Grossman. It was uh, Greg McElroy and Jake Coker, who did it for, uh, for Alabama. It was not, uh, most recently, Bryce Young, the Heisman Trophy winner. Um, mm -hmm. Cardale Jones was a third-string quarterback for Ohio State the year that he won the national title. He outdueled my quarterback, Marcus Mariota, a uh, Heisman winner from Oregon. There is actually a kind of a stunning history of these game manager-type quarterbacks at schools that have produced their fair share of big time quarterbacks. I mentioned earlier, Georgia has produced Matthew Stafford was a number one pick from Georgia. Uh, Stetson Bennett in all likelihood is not going to have an NFL career, uh, but he's a national champion for Georgia. His name will kind of go in the record books as, as the Georgia quarterback who led them to the title over Alabama. And we'd kind of reached this point in the last few years where I kind of wondered if this sort of thing would ever happen again. If you look in the last several years, we've had Deshaun Watson and Tua Tagovailoa and Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow and Mac Jones. These are all superstar caliber, Heisman caliber quarterbacks who led their teams to national titles. And I kind of thought maybe this era of being able to win, grind it out with a game manager is over. And then you have Stetson Bennett, a walk-on, a junior college transfer in the biggest game of his life, made the biggest throws of his life, and he is a national champion for the rest of his life. Well done, sir. Well done. That is a tremendous uh, analysis, and what an what a incredible moment for Stetson Bennett. If you were watching the game, at the end of the game, when it was clear that, that the Bulldogs had won, uh, Stetson had his helmet off, tears streaming down his face, hugging his teammates, knowing that uh, he had accomplished something that nobody believed possible. And that is what sports is all about. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for that, that Mark's moment. Yep. Well, Mark, I do have one brief P-dubs parting shot before we wrap up. Uh, so I, I have said on a number of occasions this this season that this has been one of the most miserable football seasons for me personally um the the huskies disappointed for most of the sea season the seahawks underperformed miserably my two fantasy football teams were uh below a winning record most of the season but uh mark i'm i'm proud to tell you 
that in the three fantasy football leagues that I was a part of this year, I am a three-time champion in, oh. in all of those leagues. I came out on top and uh, to the victor go the spoils. So a nice little uh, <laughs> bomb after the wounds of a difficult season for this Husky fan. I think it is appropriate that the only way in which a Husky fan finds solace is in his fantasies. I think that makes that makes total sense to me. Well, that makes total sense uh, to me as well after this year, but there's always next year, as they say. So continue to stick around for the Dog and Duck Show. We will be going deep into the NFL playoffs. We may talk some... Uh, some winter sports before too long and uh, we've always got plenty to talk about on the dog and deck show so stick around with us share uh like subscribe and rate uh whatever you're supposed to do do it but for all of my husky fans out there hang in there and go dogs and to all my duck fans go ducks thanks we'll catch you next time <laughs>